It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together and play a ton. I'm Matt, and John's not here. So I'm Friday Night Games, and I am one of two board game enthusiasts who would love to command their own starship. Also with us today is our very special guest, Tom, from Dragonstone Treasures, and he is here to tell you about his game. Hello, Tom. Say hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I'm glad you made it here. It's a very big time difference between us. It's fine. We managed to wrangle it. It's not a problem. Yeah, no, it's awesome. On today's show, we're going to discuss Tom's game, which is currently on Kickstarter until August 31st, Deadflight Ghosts in the Void. Tom will be giving us an overview of his game and mechanics. We're going to ask all sorts of questions because we want to know more about the game. And afterwards, we're going to fly all sorts of questions at Tom related to his game, himself, and board games in general. And we might just geek out about something. Who knows? We'll see. Tom, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Big welcome to you. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. We're always interested at Friday Night Games to hear about how you heard about us or why you chose us to come on the podcast. Do you want to share some sort of tidbit about that? So we found you on twitter and then we kind of bounced through the podcast via the links that were on there and uh, yeah we had listened to a few of your episodes and thought yes this is a good show let's see if we can we can get on and we, we flung you a question and you were very grateful or gracious to to have us on so thank you awesome what, what episodes did you listen to just a little curiosity i think it was was it jaws of the lion i can't remember oh i've listened to so many hundreds of podcasts maybe it was jaws the game yes that yes. sounds that sounds about right yeah 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 that was, that was a pretty decent one it was a longer one it was a longer one but it, it had some good moments between the the gameplay between everybody that was really yeah. cool a big question before we learn some things about your game which is dead flight if you were to command a starship what starship would that be do you mean in kind of all of sci-fi or in the game Ooh, let's go with all of sci-fi first and maybe we can answer the one about the game later i honestly can't tell you why because i'm not 100 percent sure myself but i've always like ever since i was a kid fancied being the captain of a corellian corvette like a rebel blockade runner from star wars i don't know why i can't tell you why maybe you just enjoyed the fight scene in the third movie or i guess that would be the sixth movie <laughs> i know it's a slightly different variant of the ship but in rogue one when they slam into the star destroyer i was just like yes that's yes that is what that is for oh yeah rogue one was a really good movie that was one of my that's actually one of my favorite star wars movies to be honest yeah hands down it's my favorite i know that that's quite controversial but yeah i thought it was it was brilliant no i don't think it's controversial at all episode four five and six i didn't like as much as i liked rogue one to be honest i don't know i don't know why it's just it's just what it was to me it's a different type of story isn't it it's star wars but not yeah, it's Star Wars from the 80s, right? The The story mechanics and everything were very different back then. Exactly, yeah. Excellent choice, excellent choice. But what about your game? What would you pilot in your game? Only because it's my favorite ship design, but it's the, the Ocelot, which is an interceptor for the Gas Giants conglomerate, just because it's the ship my friend and I had the most fun kind of making. We started off with a kind of pear shape that we made, or that he, my colleague, a uh, guy called Mixter, does all the, the 3D work. And we started off with this pear shape and ended up with this really, we think it looks really cool, sleek spaceship. And uh, I was like, ah, that, that looks like a, a cat. And then I was sort of rattling through the cat names and I was like, like ocelot that sounds cool we'll go with that so it's fast and nimble it's got a cool smart laser that tracks the enemy and it was the first one i painted up once we got it printed so probably that one it does die quite quickly 
That's okay. I mean, that's super cool though, that you, you know, you had this idea, you created it and then it became a favorite thing that you actually got to paint. That's actually really cool. As part of the the process of making the game, we applied for various sort of grant funding from the, the government and banks and stuff. And they all said no, apart from the European Union, who do a kind of regional development fund for areas of Europe that are kind of considered impoverished and uh, Cornwall, where, where I live and where we're based is one of those things. So they, they gave us some money to buy a very nice 3D print we've got a uh, form labs form three nice and it, it's like 25 microns you just can't see the striations and it's just a brilliant brilliant piece of kit so it's made our prototypes so much better than the pla printer that we had so yeah that was that was good it's nice it's a nice toy to play with very cool very cool so we're really excited to hear about your game which is dead flight ghost in the void where you are a starship commander i believe yeah captain commander rank is vague but yeah that kind of it's your ship you're in charge cool so tell us all about it so it is a tabletop spaceship combat game it kind of tucks into the strategy genre bracket but what we've done is we've tried to take some of the different elements from the sort of broader fields of games so there is some euro style resource management and there is some hex-based miniatures combat and then there's some kind of overlappy stuff which is kind of a bidding token system and lots of the mechanics that we enjoy from different games we've tried to refine and amalgamate into i'm not going to be big-headed enough to say an all-new amazing system but it works for the game and we're really proud of it very cool so how does a turn carry out before all the the actual like game turns work a really big part of the game is we call it the pre-battle construction and this is where we think dead flight is is very different from other kind of spaceship games because you know there's loads of them the basic premise of the game is that you are undertaking these clandestine operations out in the solar system so there's these two big factions the terrestrial planetary alliance which is basically the planets inside the main asteroid belt and then the gas giants conglomerate which is jupiter and, and saturn and they're not in open conflict it's a kind of a cold war so these ships are out there with their transponders turned off trying to basically undermine the other faction to stop them being able to gain supremacy you have a mission that you choose. So you, you draw two from a deck of 10 and it might be blow up the satellite relay or harvest some asteroids for resources. You choose whichever one of those two you want and then you construct your fleet carrier geared towards completing that mission. You have eight module slots, which are the different functions that your ship can do. So things like medical bays, engineering, range batteries, torpedoes, that kind of stuff. And then there are four upgrade slots. You build your ship, you embark your squadrons of spacecraft, fighters, bombers, intercepts, transports. And then once you've done all that, you then compare the points cost with your opponent. Now, your opponent has done exactly the same thing. They've drawn two cards at random, two mission cards, chosen one and built their ship to complete their mission. Once you've compared points cost, it's the player with the lowest points cost that is actually what we call the executing player. It's their mission that's being played. You have to, as you build your ship, kind of bear in mind that if you overspend, you might not be actually doing your mission. You might have to be reacting to what your opponent is doing. The premise behind it was that very rarely do both sides have the same objective. That doesn't happen all that often in warfare. So the idea behind this was one ship is going about its business and the other ship kind of stumbles onto it. And then they have the, the fight as a result of that. So you do this big sort of pre-battle construction to determine your initiative and, and work out which mission's actually being played. And it works out really well because people can be very cagey. This is five points cheaper and that could literally make the difference between me having a plan or having to respond to what the enemy is doing instead. You don't actually see anyone building it. When they're building, it's all hidden, I'm assuming? Yeah, so they're on the other side. Uh, each player has a kind of dashboard command terminal and the other player is on the other side of the table doing their thing and you don't actually have to lay them out. You can just leave them in little piles. So it's all done in secret. And we actually found that if you 
you know you're playing the game, building it at home beforehand really speeds things up. You're choosing missions at the beginning. How many missions are there? How many are dealt out to you? There are 10 in the deck and you draw, you shuffle it and draw two. Okay. And then from those two, you choose one. I was going to say, because maybe you, maybe a variant could be, here's all the missions, choose one. We have a line in the rulebook that says, obviously, if you just want to pick one, as long as your opponent is okay with that, then pick one. Once you've bought it, it's your game. You can tweak it and house rule it however you like. Of course, that's a choice uh, that you can make. But as long as you're kind of being open about it, I think that's only fair. Right. Yeah, very cool. We also have some historical missions, which are kind of like the Kobayashi Maru thing from Star Trek. It's it's all set up and predefined, and then you just have to pick your side and see whether you can repeat the history and the outcome. The, the little historical narrative we have of at the end of each of the historical missions is actually what happened the first time we played the mission. One of our missions is called The Reckoning of Hedro Cortez, which is actually on the website. You can see how it's set up. And it literally came down to the last roll of the dice where one special character was fighting the other one. The Cortez character died on the last roll of the dice wow. so that's now in the law is that everybody was killed uh, <laughs> and only this one sergeant survived or colonel sorry uh, to, to kind of report what happens we've tried to do that with all the these historical missions is you know we're not just making up an answer this literally happened in our and you're, and you're oh that's so cool that's actually really cool because if you get that it's sort of like a, hey we also got that tell us how you got yeah. it right oh that's that's really interesting i was at a horace heresy weekender a few years ago i think it was one of the designers from way back when said that in the original space wolves codex the chapter master was killed by an orc because when he was 12 his space wolf captain was killed <laughs> by an orc and so when he became in charge of the thing then that's how it, he played it out so it's like yeah that's, that's good i like that <laughs> Once you've built this fleet car and you've, you've set it all up, you know who's executing the mission and who's trying to disrupt it. You assign officers to different modules. You've got two officers that you can assign. So each module can do one thing to varying degrees of kind of expertise. So you have a standard order, which is your captain going fire battery and it will shoot guns. If you assign your lieutenant there, it does a better job of firing the range batteries. If you put your executive officer there, it does an even better job. But your assigned officers are stuck in that module for the whole game. So where you put them requires quite a lot of thought because wherever you put it that's where they stay so if you stick it in engineering you'll be really good at repairing but if you don't take any damage then they're basically kind of redundant they're not not doing anything so you have to as i say, think really carefully where you put them so every turn begins with this kind of command terminal phase which is the the dashboard thing we, each player has your captain can issue orders to two modules and we've got these little tokens and you go right uh, i'm gonna activate that module and that module this turn your lieutenant and your xo can hopefully if they pass their initiative checks activate their module so you should be able to um, activate four so half your ship can do stuff and you alternate with your opponent i'll activate one module you activate yours i'll activate this one back and forth and this this is kind of your, you know, raise shields, scan this, launch ships, embark your troops, put the fire out, whatever it might be. Once that's all been resolved, the game then goes into what we call the near space battle sphere, which is 17 by 13 hex grid, which sits between the two players. And this is where you have kind of the, the spaceship combat element. So we have miniatures, they all have profiles, we have different movement mechanics and weapon mechanics for, for shooting and all this kind of stuff. We've tried to make it as thematic and streamlined as possible, kind of balanced that you know it needs to kind of make sense but at the same time it still needs to be quick to do and fun so that was enjoyable trying to kind of overcome that challenge of not being like too pedantic and bogged down with things i really enjoy x-wing but it can be quite oh i was gonna say i was gonna say this sounds has similar elements to x-wing in it i caught that it's probably closer to aeronautica imperialis because that is a hex-based system okay but that too can be incredibly finickety because you're trying to maneuver these ships in set 
different ways. So we've said we have this movement mechanic called an engine rating, which is literally a number between five and nine or 10, sorry. And every time you move forward, that's one off your engine rating. Every time you turn a 60 degree facing, that's another. Beyond that, you can do what you like. As long as it doesn't equate to more than your engine rating, you can go anywhere, do anything, right. turn as many times as you like. So you think you've simplified that movement a lot more than, say, like an X-Wing? Yes. There's no cardboard tokens to be mucking about with. Or is it in range? Is it not in range? No, no. Either you're either in the hex or you're not. You're either facing the right way or you're not. There's that's no cool. kind of ifs or buts or, or gray areas about it. It simplifies your view and targets. That's really good. One of the things we wanted to do was have as few opportunities for disagreements between players as possible. So there is a line of sight mechanic, but it's pretty obvious. There is no gray area. You're either There's either something in the way or there isn't. <laughs> Right. because of having the grid systems yeah so we've tried to cut out all those instances where you're like uh, you know is it is it not no it clearly is inside or it clearly is in range or it's not right you're not half out or <laughs> part in right yeah exactly yeah, gotcha exactly yeah you know you can see a leg but not a head does it count? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but it's not a full hit. You know what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, so we've we've got those kind of sort of simplified mechanics. Our shooting mechanic is pretty straightforward. Every weapon has what we call a volume, an impact, and a critical rating. They've got ranges and arcs and stuff, but that's all pretty straightforward. So volume is how many shots are fired when you shoot, and then the impact is how much damage does each one of those hits do. You multiply the successful volume by the impact to get a score and if that equals or beats the enemy armor you cause a point of damage that's as straightforward as that now our critical rating is when you roll to hit you count the number of sixes and if it equals the critical value you do double damage so it's not a complicated mechanic but it's quick and it's effective we've, we've tried to again balance it between stuff dying and stuff dying too quickly right and having that critical gives you that extra opportunity to just cause mayhem but because they don't crop up that often you still get a couple of turns with all your ships before something gets shot out of the sky. I'm just curious, how long does a normal battle phase take? So the command terminal phase, which is the, what we call the broad space battle sphere, can take two minutes. It can take ten minutes. It depends entirely on how decisive the players are being. If you're one of those people who sits there and pontificates this module or that module, then it can take a bit of time. But generally we have a house rule of, you know, you have two minutes to think about what you're doing. We didn't want to make that a rule, like a hard and fast rule, because some people like to think about things a bit like chess. Absolutely. You, know, you can do speed chess if you want but you don't have to so that takes about say five to ten minutes the near space phase again it's probably about five to ten minutes and then the last phase which is called the face-to-face um, -face battle sphere again takes about five minutes this represents infantry squads fighting so if you deploy troops from both the fleet carriers onto a space station say they have to fight it out and this is literally i have these tokens they roll this number of dice they need this score those numbers die it's very easy to resolve the mechanic and then obviously the more fights you have the longer it'll take so it's about 20 minutes a turn okay that's not too bad once you know what you're doing that can get cut down to you know five ten minutes um, absolutely and especially as the battle progresses and you've got fewer and fewer units it speeds things up as well so it's it's a 15 to 20 minutes a turn is a is about right and most games will go probably five turns minimum so we can you can get a really good game in sort of 90 minutes to, to two hours no that's not bad that makes sense for a game that has a lot of strategy to it we've had a few comments the rule book is quite in terms of rules, I think it's about, it's going to sound really bad, because I hate <laughs> saying it out loud, but it's, it's, about, it's about 30 pages, that's, that's but a big. lot of that is is explaining the, the build mechanic and how to get that right. Mm -hmm. In terms of actual gameplay, a lot of it is thematic rules, but they're not hard to understand. So for instance, if you are losing an F2F fight, you know, if the enemy are overwhelming you and you don't want to 
have everybody die. You can leave, but you have to sacrifice a unit in order to do that, who stay behind, you know, I'll hold them off, chief, that kind of mm-hmm. activity. And it's literally just sacrifice one unit to get out of the, the situation. It's a rule, so it adds a paragraph to the rule book, but it's not a complicated rule. And it's, it's one that once you're kind of aware of it, you're, oh yeah, I can do that. We've got a deck of reference cards, which are tarot card size, and literally it says F to F. Remember, you can do these things. So you don't need to be constantly right. flicking through the rule book. All the units have got their own stat card. We've got all these, this, then this, then this, as, a, as you're sequencing. Obviously it's big because there's a lot going on. You just want to make sure you clarify everything, which is why it's a bigger rule book. Yeah, I get it. Makes sense. There are things we could have cut out, like mining is a thing. You can go and harvest asteroids for resources. It's in there. You know, you might not use it nine games out of ten, but in our campaign, which has got a kind of Dominion-style campaign where you have to control territories and generate resources in order to buy upgrades and fix your ships and that kind of stuff, we thought, well, why don't you just have an in-game mechanic that allows you to get extra resources? But of course, you have to sacrifice a bit of space in your hangar and a bit of space on your fleet carry in order to do that so it's that kind of trade-off if players want to do it they can if they don't then they don't have to nothing is kind of vital in that respect too there's a lot to it but none of it is difficult or particularly head scratching if that makes sense i've, I've rambled a little bit <laughs> no that's okay i mean you threw a lot at me which is fine so let me so let me narrow it down what is the the thing of this game that really really stands out we have taken like the best elements of lots of really good systems and we've managed to fit them together in a cohesive way so there's loads of stuff that you love from other games so that kind of idea of resource management and having responsibility and consequences for the choices that you make beyond just I fluffed a dice roll, you know, game over. That doesn't happen. But again, you're not being bogged down with often the kind of weight that comes with those resource management games. Likewise, the kind of fast-paced, hex-based combat that you get in loads of really good games, we've got that too, but we've distilled it down to something that's straightforward and quick, but still fun. That's kind of what we've tried to do with Dead Flight, is take the best bits of, of lots of mechanics and create something that makes a cohesive game with all these really cool bits that we know work. Yeah, so obviously you're inspired by other games. That's awesome. I like the fact that you took out your favorite elements and put it in there. I think that's that's an amazing answer. What about the game makes us excited to support on Kickstarter? Why should someone listening go out there and back you right away? Apart from the fact that the game play is is awesome if, if we do say so ourselves. We have a couple of playthrough videos on our Kickstarter page, so if you want to get an independent perspective, you can do that. The models are brilliant. We're really happy with them. Um, they're a really good scale, really, really well detailed. We've put a lot of effort and money into the aesthetics, so it looks really cool. The command terminals are neoprene roll mats, which is really nice, rather than you know, these big cumbersome folding board things that you can, like GM screens, which is what it was originally. There's so much replayability in this. You have 22 different modules you can choose from. You've got 50 something upgrade cards you've got nine different ships so you can play a thousand games and never have the same build and especially with your opponent you know in in 40k you know what your guy's collection is and what he's likely to bring you don't know that because you don't know what mission they've planned for you don't know what they're gonna bring you've got all these options so if you want a game that's gonna last this is a game that you can play a thousand times and never have the same experience you will make some bad decisions and get handed to you and likewise you'll have those games that everything was you know strategic brilliance on your part it's a game we've tried to make personal in as much as you know we wanted you to feel like a captain who is responsible for your crew and your assets too many games i found you're not in the game if that makes sense you're outside the game you're looking in you're outside looking in right yeah omnipotent narrator kind of perspective so like in battlefleet gothic you know you've got you might have a 10 ships on the board but that represents like two million people or you know something ridiculous and you know you're the you know the grand admiral but you're not really because you can you know you can make a 
a couple of choices, but everything is really kind of down to the dice rolls. Similarly with X-Wing, you know, you have these pilots, but which one actually are you? And I've always found that kind of disconnect, not jarring, that's, you know, I haven't ever been put off by it, but I've never enjoyed it in the same way as like in an RPG where you're, you know, your choices actually make a huge impact on not just yourself, but kind of the whole situation. So we wanted you to be that Picard on the bridge or Dharma on the bridge, making life or death decisions that matter and that will have an impact, not just now, but later on down the line. If you send all your crew out on these away team missions and the enemy boards your fleet carrier, well, you know, that can be game over. So, you know, when do you turn them around? How many do you commit? When do you order defensive positions as opposed to a repair? And we wanted that personal experience and we've tried really hard to deliver that. Cool. Honestly, one of the big mechanics that really excites me about your game is the fact that planning phase, you plan, you know, you've chosen a mission, you have a hidden mission, you planned it out, and then it's kind of neat that both players reveal their mission and the point total determines what mission is going to be like sought after while the other person reacts. I think that is super cool because you said it earlier and I agree. It's just like real warfare, right? It's like, hey, you know, there's a mission out there. You can't plan for it. Oh no, that mission is <laughs> going to be one I have to actually prepare for as opposed to the one that I'd wanted to do. You only actually reveal your points cost. You don't actually show your opponent what mission you're doing. Oh, even cooler. So you have your mission card. So you, you place that face down on your dashboard they can scan your ship and if they pass the scan rule you then reveal your mission they can figure out you know what it is you're trying to do otherwise it's just guesswork on their part okay like it's still cool you know you have to react i'm assuming you no longer have a mission right you're now your mission is to stop them yes exactly yeah and i think that's super cool yeah a friend of mine used to be a submariner and he used to get really sort of fed up because they'd spend months planning for a particular mission when they went out on patrol. And then they'd be out for three days with all the stuff planned for this mission. They'd get a, a call saying, oh, yeah, you're not doing that anymore. We need you to go over here and do this. <laughs> like, we don't have the stuff for that. We don't care. Get it done. Okay, we're going to go here. We're going to sabotage this uh, thing. Oh, no, no, no. You guys are all swapping the deck for the next two weeks. So yeah. uh, <laughs> get up there. Go over and rescue that sunken cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, the, the most sort of inspiring stories, whether it's in war or otherwise, is always those people who triumph with what they have rather than what they needed. Getting past the obstacle with their, their surroundings and intelligence, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that really excited me about your game, too, was the models looked really well done. I know on the campaign itself, everything was mostly CG rendered, but the models you did show were really nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, my, my colleague Mike, he, he sells things otherwise, and he's uh, under the name Mixter, did a cracking job. He, he used to do it um, professionally before he became a teacher like me. And yeah, I just I literally I just mentioned it in the staff room one day. I was like, oh, I have you know, started working on this project. He was like let me get in on this because I reckon I can help. <laughs> awesome. And I went around his house. He's look, I made this. And I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> and we sat down and we, we worked out the first ship and we were like, yeah, I think we can do something with this. And yeah, we got him on board and he's done, he's done all the modeling. Um, oh, nice. I'm starting to wrap my head around Blender as a, as a piece of software. I did a lot of the cinematic animations just because you know, I can't get all, all of Mike's time all of the time. Right. But he did all the build work. I sort of sent really rubbish sketches. It's like, can you make this look not rubbish? <laughs> um, and then he'd come back a day later and say, like, I've done this. I oh, just Can you tweak that? Just adjust that. And you know, we had a really good kind of working relationship. And I'm super proud of all the ships. Awesome. They've all gone through various upgrades and tweaks and reconfiguration as we've gone. And I'm sure you know, there'll be refinements as we go but the basic ships are not going to change a huge amount unless of course we get a, a bit of community coherence with like actually we really don't like the cerberus can you do something with it 
So Dead Flight, Ghost in the Void is going to be on Kickstarter until August 31st. If you're hearing this now, there's probably about a week left. You should definitely check it out. And I wanted to plug that right before we get a little bit deeper in this interview. We're going to try to explore Tom's mind a little bit more. It's a dangerous place to go. <laughs> I think everyone's mind is a dangerous place to go. <laughs> so at what point in your life did you really step back and say, hey, I, I want to create a board game. I want to create Dead Flight. So it was about February, March time last year, 2019. And I was at my local gaming club in Truro and we were playing, I can't remember what we were playing. It was Necromunda probably. We played a lot of that. And it was just kind of coming to a close. And I just, I was just sat there and I just sort of said, I'm going to make a game. And all my friends were like, no, you're not. Like, no, you're not. It was, I, I don't know where it came from. Hold on, hold on. Stop. You just got done with the game and you're like, hey, I have, were mechanics just flying through your head? And you're just like, I think I could put some of this together. I think I could do this better. Was that sort of the, the notion? Or? No, it was literally just, I'm going to make a game. It just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I've always been like quite a creative and my wife calls it a kind of butter, butterfly brain. I'm always flitting from one thing to the next. And this just, let's make a game popped into my head. And I say, my friends were like, no, you won't. And then that became a challenge. So I was like, okay, right. And I was driving home thinking about it and I was thinking about what games do I like playing and it was that idea of telling the person or having that personal experience that I wanted to to create that was it we were playing Armada it wasn't oh, that nice. one it was Star Wars Armada right. which is a brilliant game which I really really love but yeah, again for really me good. it has that that same problem of you're not really involved yeah you're making all the decisions but I've never felt like it was me at risk and in Dead Flight, that's what I wanted it to feel. I wanted you, you know, you to feel at risk. You know, this was not just your ships that were being blown up. It was, you know, these were yours. These are your crew. You have responsibilities. Da, 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 da. I think that must have been the instigator for that was, you know, I want to be part of this story more than I am. I want to be emotionally invested. I mean, that's usually how it is, right? Like you're, you play something and you're like, I want this experience. This doesn't offer it. And then you you start like looking, you start searching, and then you you don't find it, and then that's when you build that niche, right? And and that's obviously what came to you. We didn't want to just make something that already existed, so we could have just made it a hex-based game and just done a space combat game that was based on hexes. But that's been done, and that's been done really well quite a few times. So okay, well, it has to be more than that. We didn't just want to make a spaceship resource management game because there's loads of them as well. Right. And, you know, some of them are very good. So it was about finding well, how do we do those things? in a different way that's going to be fun and that was the challenge most of the kind of foundations of the game were laid probably within the first four or five weeks so the idea of the command terminal was one of the first things i actually put together we've expanded it so originally there was only six modules and two upgrades and then we sort of found that actually what was happening was people were building pretty much the same four units and then a little bit of variation so we, we made it bigger so that there was more scope for you to have those options because there's stuff that's really good in most situations like range batteries which are your big guns that you fleet carrier can fire so you'll probably take those most of the time but you might not take a medical bay very often unless your mission requires you to storm the enemy ship in which case having some doctors around is a really good idea the idea came out of nowhere but <laughs> became a real thing very quickly and the challenge of your friends got you to that got you, got you motivated yeah. right so i think that's cool too you know kind of kind of gets you like hey no i can do this i can this is doable so yeah what one of them actually came up to me i said well it was it was on facebook messenger it was like you know what i was wrong <laughs> You have, even if it doesn't fund, you have made a thing. Yep. And that's more that, you know, no one can take that away from you. Right. A lot of people will always say they have an idea, but they may never produce. Yeah. You know, everyone's got a book in them, but very few people actually ever get it written down. You got it. Even if it never gets published, you know, the, the actual effort of writing 110,000 words that everyone's got. <laughs> 
Right. You know, it's in there in everybody's head, but actually putting it down, you no know, one. How, what percentage of people will, will do that? Right, exactly. Very, very, very small. Good for you. That's awesome. But of course, it would be great if it did sell and I could get some pocket money out of it. That'd be nice. Yeah, definitely. And then you have this thing that exists even beyond your mind, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've, we've got expansions for this game planned with different parts of the solar system, new factions and stuff like that. It's like lore heavy. There is, yeah, but none of the lore bar what's in like the two minute video is essential for you to know, but it's there if you want it. Cool. So we've we've created the foundations of what will be a very rich setting and we're really proud of it. So our rule book has this kind of timeline of events from kind of now up to uh, year 3927 which is when the game is set and how you can kind of get from the current state of affairs to these big spaceships zooming around the, the solar system. We intentionally kept it confined to the solar system. I know a lot of games go explore the galaxies, but like the physics doesn't support that. The scientific understanding that we have don't support that thing. You know, we can't travel faster than light, so stop pretending that you can. <laughs> you know, there's there's no gravity on these ships. You know, the gravity generator is not working no, there just isn't one because the physics says you can't create gravity without mass. So we have one instance of a giant kind of Walmart thing that the gas giants conglomerate build because the the orbits of Jupiter and Saturn don't coincide very often. And for quite a few years at a time, they are on the other sides of the sun, which is not good when you're trying to coordinate half a trillion people. So we created this thing colloquially called the barn, which is a load of asteroids stuck together, but it's so heavy it does create an artificial gravity. And I had to measure, I could get some textbooks out and go, well, how much I, mass does it need to generate appreciable gravity? Tom, which all, is really nerdy. All I'm imagining is the conversation that came up when you and your uh, your friends are trying to figure out <laughs> whether gravity could exist or, you know, how or, but, you know, the, the orientations of, would you say, Saturn and Jupiter? Or yeah. uh, <laughs> I could only imagine the conversation probably went on for hours, <laughs> right? And, like, arguing. Do you, do you get um professor brian cox has he made it across to canada yet no i haven't i haven't i mean i'm i'm more of a math person but i'm actually more of a i'm actually more of a computer science person so so no <laughs> he's an astrophysicist he does loads of documentaries he does like wonders of the solar system and i think he's great i use him loads in class but he on his things he's like actually this is the science this is what you can do this is what you can't do so i've just watched loads of that i was like okay so you can't have artificial gravity so what do you need to actually generate gravity oh you need this this this. okay fine cool let's put that in i haven't like followed up the research i've just taken what he said and what i've found on various scientific journals about this i still think that's pretty cool though (laughs) i mean you're doing i mean that that is technically research on its own to try and figure out yeah that's cool i mean i have a i have a colleague at work who would love to talk to you about all this let me tell you (laughs) yes sounds good another example we have in our sort of separate law book we have a like half a page explaining what these sailors for want of a better term are actually wearing if they're drifting around in space which is these kind of compression suits it's kind of like a wetsuit that stops your muscles atrophying because obviously if there's no weight you lose muscle mass really really quickly so these suits compress you make it difficult for you to move and just give you that bit of resistance so your muscles have to keep working so you don't lose definition and we base that on research nasa has done on long distance human voyages to places like mars and stuff like that so we've we've kind of gone this is what nasa says that is needed so let's put that in because that needs to be a thing that's cool that's cool I've... it doesn't translate to a game mechanic but it was just like it's a cool little bit that we've thrown in because it's we found it interesting whether everyone else does it's, <laughs> it's, seen. it's like it's like you're trying to be educational without even realizing it <laughs> right I, you know, I, am a, I am a teacher maybe oh. i just can't help myself <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I awesome. teach philosophy, so not not oh, science. That's, that's completely different. But you know what? Most 
most philosophers take interest in things other than philosophy. I'm just going to point yeah. it out there. My, my brother actually has a philosophy degree too. And he, he actually loves learning all about science. Like theoretical physics is what he likes reading about on his spare time, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Very cool. Tom, that was that was great. So we're going to turn the tables a bit. This is kind of our little geek out. Maybe we might geek out a little bit after, but do you have any questions you want to ask me who represents Friday Night Games? We have our own podcast as well. Oh, uh, what what is your podcast? It's called The Dawn of Rebellion. We're on SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. I think and yeah it's just a general kind of we review tabletop stuff most of the time and talk about previews and releases and that kind of thing so one of the segments we have when we have guests on is a quick fire like you know those kind of red blue cake ice cream kind of questions okay but they are hobby related oh, so I'm gonna roll a d20 okay and it's gonna be two things and you have to choose very quickly between them okay uh, I can do this so for instance <laughs> um uh, seven Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones Oh, Game of Thrones for sure. Do I have to say why, or do I just, or do I just? Uh... Uh, we'll, we'll we can come back to those. Okay. Uh, Trek or Wars? I I don't know either. <laughs> wars. We'll go okay. with Wars. <laughs> Correct. Um, Fifteen. So this is about RPGs. Player character accents or no accents? Oh, accents. Uh, and last one: brush or airbrush? Airbrush. Hundred <laughs> percent. Cool. So why Game of Thrones? Ooh. Instead of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> You know what? I actually like both. I think Lord of the Rings was kind of ruined for me. I read it when I was 16 and it took me forever to read it. I think it might have just been too complicated or there's just too much to remember. Game of Thrones I read more recently. Well, I more recently. I read it like 10 years ago. <laughs> Still waiting for those other books because I'll say yeah. books because who knows when that's going to Yeah, he's, he's not going to finish those, is he, before he shuffles off. You know, I have reading the books before the show i feel like i kind of understand where he comes from you know he he made these books like in 90 like in the mid 90s and people only started reading these masterpieces like now i'd be kind of bitter yeah i'd be like you know what you could wait yeah, <laughs> i had to wait I for done you all of this money 20 years ago exactly i got you had to wait for you you could wait for me yeah. <laughs> right so i get it yeah but lord of the rings is an amazing book i mean you can argue it inspired all the fantasy novels we have now so i do really yeah. like that book too but i prefer lord of the rings over the hobbit although hobbit was probably the first one i read i picked lord of the rings but again i'm not really sure why i think like the i read the books um as a kid and then the films came out when I was in my early teens to sort of mid to late teens, sort of, I think it was about year eight through to end of sixth form. And they were just such a big part of kind of memes weren't called memes then, but everyone was using memes around Lord of the Rings stuff at school. So it just became this kind of part of growing up. Whereas I think now Game of Thrones is having that same kind of effect for sort of that generation that's come behind me. So I think if I'm asking people in 20 years about this, they'll be like, what's Lord of the Rings? Right. Although with the new Amazon show that they're building or making or whatever that at some point will come out. Oh, the, um, the next which is the next Game of Thrones series, I think. Is that what you're that's what you're referring to? It's Lord of the Rings, but it's Second Age. Oh, I think it was like I heard it was going to be about Aragorn's dad, and then that's not going to be it. But um, Ian McKellen's going to be in it because oh, he wants cool. to do Gandalf again. Oh, um, but yeah, so I think maybe that'll <laughs> you know that might have changed things. But yeah, there's fewer songs in Game of Thrones, which I think helps. Yeah, there's fewer drinking songs in Game of Thrones. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Although, yeah, the, the bear, the bear, and the maiden fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept that one because the Dropkick Murphys did it. Was it was the Dropkick Murphys? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, so we do that segment. I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's it's a good conversation topics. You know what I mean? Good conversation starter. 
A big thank you to you, Tom, from Dragonstone Treasures for coming on our show and talking about Dead Flight, Ghosts in the Void. Uh, remember to back it on Kickstarter right now until August 31st. You can check out Tom's podcast. Can you say the name of that one again, Tom? It's the Dawn of Rebellion. I'll, I'll send you a link. Perfect. So Dawn of Rebellion. That's also on iTunes and SoundCloud if you want to check that out. So check us out at FridayNight.Games. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You could check us out on Twitter at FridayNightGMS or Instagram at FridayNightGames underscore official. Leave us a message about what you want to hear about or review our podcasting platform or whatever. Thanks a lot, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Tom, for being on the show. And thank you for having me. Much appreciated.